What's going on, good people? My name is Christian, and you are now tuning in to What College Didn't Teach Me, the podcast that shares life lessons from outside the classroom. And today, I have a very close friend of mine, Alexis. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm good. That is great. Glad that you are here. So for those of y'all who do not know who Alexis is, Alexis is a good friend of mine, as well as she is married to... Ethan, who was actually on the first episode I had, he was my first guest. So um, very, very great people and um, very close friends of mine. But I met Alexis. Let's see. What was that? That was the summer after I graduated. So that was the summer of 2018 because I went to visit Ethan. And then I remember we went to get lunch with Alexis. Yes. We went to to pick Alexis up and it was it was weird because I had only heard about Alexis through Ethan and I don't know like I remember we were going to to meet and I was like it felt like I was meeting a celebrity so <laughs> I remember I was like low key nervous and oh my she got in the car <laughs> and I was like hi I'm Christian she's like hi <laughs> but I felt the same way cuz I had only ever heard about you through Ethan I mean, obviously all good things. I was like, this guy sounds awesome. Can't wait to meet him. Yeah, it was, it was surreal. Yeah. And here we are today. Awesome. So I know. It is all good. Time flies. Time yeah. flies. Nah, time definitely does fly. But yeah, time, time has flown this past year with COVID going on. And Ugh, uh, it's like the longest year of my life yeah. and also the fastest. Yeah. No, it's been insane. <laughs> But yeah. for those of y'all who do not know who Alexis is, Alexis is also a nurse. So mm-hmm. she started working as a nurse back in the summer of 2019. And that was right before the Rona started happening. Yeah. So most of Alexis's uh, nursing career has been during COVID. So she has had a plethora of experience of <laughs> helping people who have been dealing with COVID. She's been working in the ICU and yeah, just trying to help save people's lives day in and day out who are experiencing tragic things and, and even beyond COVID. Um, also helping people who have, who are dealing with other issues. But a lot of what we're going to get to today is a lot of insight from Alexis. And how she has been handling her time as a nurse during COVID, uh, working at her hospital. Cause I know for those of y'all, you know, on the news, you see all the cases, you see all the hospitalizations, you see all the things from the side of the people who are getting COVID, but we don't really see the side of the people who are treating those who have been affected. And Alexis is one of those superheroes. So wanted to get here, wanted to get her here today to drop some insight on the other side of COVID, the people who treat it. So Alexis, you are a, I like to say you're a professional lifesaver, you know, caregiver, (laughs) hero, all in in one. So what does, what what does that feel like? What does it feel like to be someone who like for your profession you're you're treating people and helping people and trying to give them the best care that you can give them like what's that what's that been like for you yeah i mean that's why i went into nursing it's an honor and a privilege and working in the icu especially we're working with the sickest of the sick 
My hospital is a level level one trauma center in Washington, D.C., so we end up seeing a lot of bad traumas and, and really, really sick patients. So being able to be with them on the hardest days of their lives, you know, at their lowest of the low and and helping give them quality care to see how to make the best of that situation and help them get better and get out of that and to see patients like that recover, even if it they're on our unit for a month or two months, you know, and you see them each and every day, sometimes you have them as a patient multiple times, like every other week or so, and you get to see their progress. That's just an absolute honor to be able to play such a big role in progressing someone's plan of care. As for being a superhero, <laughs> I honestly have a little Im- bit of imposter syndrome with the whole, like, nurses are the superheroes of the pandemic and that whole thing. Because, you know, we just, we're just doing our job. <laughs> we're just going in and out and doing what we do. And I don't know if I've ever like left a shift and felt like a superhero, but I understand the sentiment in that we can't run from it and we can't hide from it. And our job requires us to face COVID head on. And while others can limit their exposure, we really can't because that's our job is, you know, to help people. And if they happen to have COVID, then we have to be exposed to it. So I get that part of the superhero thing, but definitely some imposter syndrome there, not feeling like a superhero necessarily. Yeah, that's interesting because I understand where you're coming from with the I'm just doing my job. But I think Mm -hmm. whether or not it is technically an obligation of yours, I still believe that, you know, what you do and the care that you provide for people is making a tremendous impact on people's lives because I can only imagine, I mean, I've gone to the emergency room a couple times and I know what it's like feeling like, okay, I have literally no idea what's going on with my body. I feel like there's something wrong with me and mm-hmm. I need help. And the the nurses and the doctors and all the people who were able to help me and treat me, I literally look at them and think like, wow, you saved my life because I didn't know how. And so without getting that guidance and that help, then that could leave somebody a lot worse off. And so even though you may not think that what you're doing is something that is spectacular because it's an obligation, it's something that's really changing and impacting the lives of people for the better. So, Mm, yeah. That's nice to hear. Thank you. Yeah. Nah, of course, of course. So, no, but I know that, yeah, dealing with, COVID and all this, it's probably something that when you started working, it wasn't something you were immediately trained for. Uh, Probably weren't trained to wear, you know, these N95 masks literally all day long. And when you were in college, were you ever taught how to handle a situation like this, how to handle a global pandemic, how to handle a a virus (laughs) that you couldn't, you know, that spreads super easily that you can't even see? Like, did college, do you think college prepared you for that? No. No, that's something college didn't teach me. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. I mean, honestly, there's never been. I mean, I guess there's been viruses like this before, but there's nothing present day that they could teach us in school like this with these precautions, with, you know, this heightened PPE you have to put on in a certain way and how it spreads. I mean, 
we still don't know the answers to everything about this virus. And it's been about a year that we've been dealing with it in the hospital. So yeah, no. And we always joke around that the only thing that we learned in nursing school that is applicable to the situation is how to apply gloves and wash your hands. Oh my goodness. And that's about it, you know? Oh man. And and then in terms of the N95, before this, the only patient population we would wear it for is tuberculosis patients. Anything airborne, but you know, we don't deal with a lot of airborne patients other than tuberculosis patients, and we don't see them very often. So when we got fitted for them, when we started working at the hospital, they do like a fit test to see which mask you should be wearing, you know, because mm-hmm. it's not like one size fits all. It's like has to fit your face. And but they'll put the mask on you and then they'll put like a ginormous, almost like an astronaut helmet on top of your head. And it has like a hose or like a vacuum hose looking thing attached to the astronaut helmet. And they puff like a gas or some kind of powder through this hose into the helmet while you're wearing the N95. And they ask you, like, can you taste that on the back of your mouth? And I remember being fit tested for my N95 and being like, I don't know, can I? Like, I don't think I can. And they were like, no, you would know. Like, you would know if you could taste it. And I was like, oh, okay, then I probably can't taste it. And then when COVID came and they were like, pick out, make sure you're picking out your right N95 size. Like, you, this is what's going to save your life, basically, is this one little mask. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, maybe I should have taken that fit test more seriously. Like, so we, I was not prepared. We were not prepared. And even when it, it came to our unit, even the most experienced ICU nurses weren't prepared. None of us knew what we were getting into and had never seen patients quite this sick or quite this fragile in a way that the sickest ones, even if you moved their head, they would drop their oxygen saturations like to a dangerous low or their blood pressure would just tank like immediately. You could hardly even move them without them becoming so unstable. And we've never had a patient population in which that's the case, you know? So it was a serious trial of like trial and error of seeing like what works for this patient population and just keeping it in the back pocket, you know, for the rest of the pandemic, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, You can see the same for like the respiratory therapists, like troubleshooting the mechanical ventilators that the patients are on and the ventilator settings as to what works best for the patients. They didn't know at first either. And now we have a much clearer picture of what works and what doesn't. And I had a COVID positive patient this past Monday and Tuesday that was very, very sick. And it's so different taking care of them now that people have saved and reserved that knowledge that we've learned throughout the year. They know exactly what to try on the ventilator. They know exactly what medications are going to help. So it's refreshing. I mean, the patients are just as sick, but it's less of a guessing game and more of from our personal experience, this is what's going to be most beneficial. And yeah, that's nice to see. Yeah, that must have been challenging when COVID first started and y'all were expected to treat all these people and seeing all the increases in cases and hospitalizations and still not being sure really what is the best means of action because mm-hmm. it's it was such a new thing and still, you know, we're still trying to get vaccines right and make sure things are getting out to people and making sure that people are 
doing what they can to get healed. But yeah, no, it's that that must have been super challenging. But to help me understand this, when COVID started spreading back in spring of last year, what was it like when you started realizing, okay, this is going to be a very consistent thing that we're going to have to deal with? And you were going into, you know, the hospital every day and realizing, okay, I'm going to see at least at the very minimum, I'm going to see one person that definitely has the coronavirus every, you know, every shift. What was that like for you? Yeah, I actually can remember our census numbers were at a record low, ironically, when coronavirus started spreading, like especially I think, you know, it was in New York first and it was just like running rampant there. And then we watched it start trickling into surrounding cities and popping up in other states and things like that. But you would see it on the news. Oh, this virus is really like starting to affect people. And yet our ICU numbers were going down. And the only thing I could think was people were scared to go into the hospital, like, you know, avoiding seeking medical attention because they thought they would expose themselves to people with COVID if they went. That was the only thing I could think. But I remember the doctors saying like, it's like a tidal wave, you know, like this is the wave receding into the ocean and, you know, just brace for impact because it will come crashing in. And I remember being like, yeah, okay, like, I don't think it's going to hit us. Like, it's not going to affect us. And now looking back on it, I'm like, haha, like it literally yeah, affected everybody. everybody. <laughs> yeah, like nobody was able to escape. So initially, I really didn't even think it was going to come. And then we have an 800 bed hospital, either eight or 900 beds. It's massive. So instead of just having one ICU, we have a bunch of specific specialty ICUs. So we have like a medical ICU, a surgical ICU. I work on the neurotrauma ICU. And it's actually divided across the hall. There's a hallway that divides the two units. And any given day, I could be on either unit. Um, and then there's like the cardiovascular ICU, et cetera. So during COVID, they had told us that only the medical ICU and surgical ICU would become COVID ICUs. And then every other unit would take care of patients that had tested negative for COVID. So I was like, oh, great. Like, it's not even going to come to my unit. And so quickly, those two units filled with very sick COVID-positive patients, and they had to end up making every unit but one ICU COVID ICUs. Mm. And that one other unit, luckily, I mean, I was blessed, was the other half of the unit that I work on. So they split our unit in half, and the one half was COVID-positive, and the other half, that was the only ICU in the whole hospital for COVID-negative patients. So we started seeing people from every other ICU that were negative. I actually had to create that because we had immunocompromised nurses. Mm. Like we had nurses that were pregnant or, you know, had asthma, like severe asthma or diabetes or some kind of pre-existing condition that if they got the coronavirus, they would become severely ill. And therefore, they were considered exempt is the word that we use at the hospital from taking care of COVID positive patients. So the staff on that unit also became a maj podge of people from all over the hospital. The patient population was from all over the hospital and it was negative. So um, about like 25% of my shifts, I had the breath of fresh air of taking care of COVID negative patients. But for the other 75%, 
I was taking care of COVID positive patients. And once that half of our ICU turned into a COVID ICU, I was confident I would be put there almost every shift because I'm young and I don't have any pre-existing conditions and I don't have kids at home and I'm a great kind of person to just throw into the fire, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I knew probably most of my shifts I would go in and be taking care of COVID-positive patients. And that was terrifying, especially because when it started, I remember the day that I walked into the break room and looked up at the whiteboard at my patient assignment and I saw I was assigned a COVID-positive patient and I internally freaked out. <laughs> I was like, oh no, like I didn't think that day would come so fast. And, you know, I saw my name next to that patient and I said, okay, I got to learn today how to put on my stuff. And I remember a senior nurse showing me how to put on my gown and my mask and my gloves to make sure like not a fleck of skin was showing. But when I went into the room and how to safely take it off so that I didn't contaminate myself while I was taking off my PPE. Oh man. And then walking into that room was insane because they're negative pressure rooms. So they have something in them called an air scrubber, which is like a loud air vacuum that like sucks the air from inside the room and pumps it outside so that it doesn't spread onto the unit. So you have to walk in, close the door behind you, it vacuum seals shut. And then all you hear is like, like this loud ringing sound. You know what I mean? And then you're looking at yourself and you're like making sure your skin's not showing through your PPE and you're looking up and around the room. And I remember like holding my breath and all I could hear was like that humming sound. And I could hear like my heartbeat in my ears just like so loud. I could hardly even think, like just terrified. So, you know, holding my breath, like trying to take care of that patient as fast as possible. I mean, it was, it was terrifying. And I don't know at what point that fear kind of fell to the back of my mind and it just became normal. But that was definitely a coping mechanism that we all had to develop is that is the reality. Like we are going to have to deal with these patients every day. So it just needs to be something we're at peace with. And you have to trust that your PPE is going to protect you and that the air scrubber in the room is going to protect you and that if you wash your hands and you apply and doff your PPE safely that you won't get the virus, you know, because if you don't believe that, then what do you do? Live every single day in fear of doing your job? <laughs> so yeah, we we had to develop that to cope. And I remember being afraid as well, you know, that I would even if I wasn't sick from it, because, you know, they were saying you could get it and be like an asymptomatic carrier. So you could get ill and you could have the coronavirus, but not have symptoms. So you wouldn't really know that you had the coronavirus. And then you could spread it to people unknowingly. You know, that was terrifying to me because I thought to myself, okay, I could have it, not even know. And I could be spreading it to my husband, my family, if I ever saw them, anyone, even yeah. my coworkers, like at the hospital in the break room. If even if we're eating on opposite sides of the break room, what if one of us has it? You know, I don't know when it became semi bearable, but yeah, the thought of having to, I guess, knowing going into work that you were going to be taking care of COVID patients, it had to eventually just become okay in your mind because 
otherwise, like, well, I don't know what you would do. You'd have to change professions. <laughs> like, right. Almost every nurse in the world has to deal with it. So, yeah. yeah. I was about to say. Just became normal. Yeah. So for you, at what point did it become normal? Because I know for me, when coronavirus started, there was a big issue, I guess, at where I work with some people were like, um, why are we still open? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I work at a manufacturing site. And so some of the other people I work with were just like really shocked. And I was I was shocked, too. I was like, can I just work from home? I'll be doing all my stuff off a computer anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was something that at first I was like extremely scared. Like I was like super scared. And then one day someone at my site, they, they had coronavirus and this person actually sits directly next to me. And oh my so gosh. We're not, you know, like we're six feet apart, but if anybody was going to get the coronavirus, it was going to be me. Now we wear like our mask all day mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we, uh, you know, we keep our distance. But I was still just like, oh, my gosh, the coronavirus was like right there. But, you know, the person that had gotten it, they wear their mask and, you know, I wear my mask and we keep our distance. So I wasn't super nervous, but I got a test and I was like, okay, I I don't have it. Um, Right. (laughs) Some more people in the office got it. And, um, you know, I still didn't get it, but. Obviously, I still, you know, keep my distance and I still make sure washing my hands and all that. But, um, yeah, after a certain point, I mean, I feel like in America, there's just so many things that we, uh, we get desensitized to just because mm-hmm. of the fact that, I don't know, in America, we just try to just move past things. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I kind of, I, I don't really think about the coronavirus like that. I still, you know, I wear, everything i keep my distance from people i don't like Mm -hmm. hang out it's just kind of like a new normal and i just have kind of adjusted but i don't i don't know like it's been a minute since i thought about man like i wonder like i still want to do all the things i did before coronavirus Mm -hmm. i want to see my friends and hang out and go places and travel and all that but right now i'm just like chilling in the crib I got yeah. FaceTime. I got I got you know phone calls. I got Zoom, so I can still hang out. It's just it's just a little different right now, right? But right, the um, new normal. yeah, so no. But how long until you think you were able to just kind of be okay with right. this new normal? So as I said, I I don't remember a specific day, but I want to say it officially hit our unit maybe late March. And I would say by mid-April, our unit was entirely full of super sick patients. So at that point, it became inevitable that I would take care of them. And I couldn't avoid taking care of a COVID-positive patient anymore. And I think at that point, it had to become something that I was okay with for my mental health (laughs) and emotional health, you know, to make it through those shifts, to make it through the day. And I remember... I think it was probably in April, there was an interesting situation going on at our hospital. And I'm sure most hospitals experienced something similar, but it was the hospital census, like the amount of patients in the hospital admitted into the hospital was increasing exponentially. We ended up having to cancel all elective procedures at the hospital. So anything that was 
you know, not life and death, it could be postponed. Those procedures were all canceled because we didn't have beds for those patients. So, we, you know, we had to decide and um, we canceled all elective procedures to make beds. And even by doing that, we still didn't have enough beds in the hospital for patients. And meanwhile, our nurses were getting sick and not able to come into work or they quit nursing altogether or they ended up picking up what's called a travel nursing contract which became very popular during covid and is still very popular right now because some hospitals are able to offer very very high travel nursing contracts to recruit more nurses to come to their hospital because they don't have enough staff so we were losing nurses left and right and we had too many patients and so because this happened our hospital our hospital instituted something called pandemic pay which was if you picked up extra shifts during the week they would give you a few hundred dollars as kind of incentive to pick up more shifts because they didn't have enough staff and i did this i ended up picking up 10 straight weeks of overtime mm. in i know and you the way that they did it was actually two weeks at a time. So I agreed to do it five times. But those 10 weeks were the hardest 10 weeks of my career to date because every shift, my patients were super sick, COVID positive, you know, and oftentimes passing away on my shift and there was nothing I could do about it. And, you know, that takes a mental, it's mentally taxing, emotionally taxing, physically draining even, you know, working all that extra overtime and being the most busy that I probably ever will be at work. And at that point, the thought of being nervous about taking care of COVID positive patients was like so far at the back of my head. And that started in April. So by then it was just like, that. that is what it is and it's normal and this is my job. And this is what I do. And I had to go like on autopilot for those 10 weeks because otherwise I would crumble. If I thought about it too much, I would crumble. So I had to just go like 50% autopilot and 50% to keep myself sane by making good medical decisions and using my critical care thinking and, you know, all of that. But I definitely wouldn't have been able to make it through those weeks without Ethan, my husband, and my family supporting me because I was crazy. (laughs) I was like losing my mind. So yeah, absolutely wild. And another thing I wanted to mention, I think you, because you were talking about COVID at your work and when that made you guys like uncomfortable and then becoming comfortable with the new normal and You made me think, actually, that something curious is, and I noticed this too, like during the pandemic, but we are lucky as nurses that almost every human we encounter, we know right off the bat whether or not they have COVID. Like when they come into the hospital, they get tested and it's either positive or negative. And then that's basically stamped on their chart. And we know, okay, they're COVID positive or okay, they're COVID negative. And if they're positive, like their whole room has signs all around it. Before you even enter, you know, and you're completely covered and protected with all your PPE. Like you were saying at your work, 
you were next to a person that had COVID, you didn't even know, and all you had was a surgical mask. You know what I mean? Right. That would scare me more almost because you don't even know. So I guess it's another thing that, yeah, you know, we have to deal with it, but at least we know that it's there and we're prepared and protected. As opposed to like going to the grocery store, you could be like next to someone who has it right, and all you're like, wearing is a surgical mask, you know? Yeah, you could be picking bananas and someone picked those bananas and was like, ah, I don't like these and they had COVID and you picked up some COVID bananas. Right, right, right. And you wouldn't even know. That's what's wild. So thinking about it that way makes me actually feel very blessed to be in the position that I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. And that's why people are having like their groceries delivered and, you know, like things have just changed so much because the fear of the unknown is enough to keep you from putting yourself in harm's way. At least for some people, I guess it's different for everyone, but. Oh, yeah, there are definitely people who are just like, yeah, I don't really care. I'm just going to go out without a mask and I'm just going to do know. my thing. <laughs> yeah, you got, you, got, you got those people, but. um. So yeah. I want to go back to where you said that at a certain point, you kind of had to go into autopilot because mm -hmm. if you didn't, you were going to crumble. So mm -hmm. we've all been dealing with this COVID for the past 10 or so months, mm -hmm. um, or at least here in the United States. How have you been able to manage your mental health over you know, the past year or so, while you've been witnessing, like you said, people suffering in the mm -hmm. ICU, people passing away, having to tell family members, you know, that their relative like passed away or having to tell people that um, someone who's in a critical condition that, hey, they're, you know, they're looking pretty rough. Like, what kind of toll has that taken on you? And how have you been able to manage your mental health through all of that? Yeah, so a great toll, definitely. I'm a very empathetic person at baseline, and I knew going into nursing already that just the standard patient population that I would be caring for, regardless of COVID, that I would need to compartmentalize and really try not to take on my patients' burdens as my own. I already knew I was going to have to eventually develop that skill because otherwise I would just be like an emotional wreck <laughs> always because <laughs> that's just how I am. I always take on people, other people's sadness or other people's joy. It's just contagious to me. So I was trying to do that at, already at baseline. And then when we started experiencing COVID, it was just to a whole nother level to where I had to put up walls, emotional walls around myself. And I really had to try as hard as I could to not carry that stuff with me when I left work. I'm definitely not perfect. <laughs> and I, I haven't been and I still am not in terms of mental health and dealing with the pandemic and everything. But I have gotten better at not letting it affect me as much, which is just sounds sad because I want it to affect me. I mean, if I'm human and I have human emotions, the things that I see and deal with should, you know, make me emotional and, and upset me. But it's just if you carry that, that level of sadness with each patient that you experience that suffering with, 
I mean, it's too much to bear. Like, I don't yeah. think I could, you know, carry it. So you have to try and compartmentalize it, I guess. But I, I would say even like what you were saying about talking to patients' family and all of that, like, you stopped letting patients' family even come and visit them. So before where the patient's family was at least at the bedside, able to be with them, talking to them, present with them, and you could talk face-to-face -face with patient's family members and you could express your condolences and you could show them you care, you know. Now it was doing all of that over the phone. And, and it still is that way. We still don't let patient's family members visit in the hospital. So yeah, they're hearing all of this news over the phone. They're not able to be with their loved one physically. And, you know, I wish this could be different, but unfortunately, like, it's not. Because imagine if all of those people did come into the hospital and all of their loved ones have COVID and then they get it and then they spread it, you know? So it's practically speaking, it makes sense, but it's that patient's like toughest day and who knows whether or not they'll make it out of it and family wants to be with them and see them. So it's, really tragic to be there for that. I remember one shift I had and I, I mean, I'll never forget it because I had two COVID positive patients, very, very sick. And one of them had been on our unit for a while and therefore the patient was a little more stable. And when I say stable, I mean the vital signs like oxygen saturations and blood pressure and all of that was looking a little more stable. The other one had just come onto the unit that evening and nothing was stable. A complete just labile blood pressure, labile oxygen saturation, and no one knew what to do. So I spent most of the evening in that patient's room trying to figure out how we could manage their care and hopefully get them to a point where they could recover and heal from this. And I was in there in my full PPE for probably four hours straight and it's like at that point, we, we were supposed to be quote unquote limiting our exposure. Yeah. But it's like, well, if my patient's dying, what am I supposed to do? Just stand outside and watch it happen? Like, no. So I was in the room for about four hours and I was so sweaty that my gown was like sticking to my arms and my back. Like I was disgusting. And from my patient's room, I was able to pull up my other patient on that patient's monitor, if that makes sense. So I was able to see both of their vitals at the same time, mm -hmm. even though I was only in that one patient's room. And I saw that my other patient started having crazy, her monitor was going crazy. So we got walkie-talkies on our unit during COVID. <laughs> and each room has a walkie-talkie so that you can talk to people outside the room from inside the room. So I started getting on the walkie-talkie and begging people like, please, please, like, come like look at my other patient i'm stuck in this one's room and my other patient there's something happening please go look please go look and by the time i got out of that patient's room that i was in for 4 hours my other patient had passed away and there were like so many nurses in there caring for that patient and it turned out being something that we couldn't have prevented anyway so i know that should offer me some condolence but <laughs> it does not <laughs> And then two hours later at change of shift, that patient that I was taking care of most of the evening also passed away. Mm. And I remember like I fell to the floor crying <laughs> in front of everyone. 
And they they told me, all my staff, the next shift that I came in, they said, if we were you, we would have quit nursing after that night. Like we would have never come back because that was a very hard assignment and, you know, that was too much for you to bear. And that's the only time that I emotionally cracked at work during the whole pandemic. <laughs> Otherwise, I was able to compartmentalize and keep a very cool front. But yeah, I, I even came home from that shift and I cried to Ethan, my husband, and he said, like, you want to talk about it? And I was like, nope, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. I just want to go to bed. And it wasn't probably for like weeks later that I was actually able to talk to him about it because it was literally if I had talked about it and opened up and thought too much about it, I don't know if I would have been able to go back to work. Like it's that traumatizing. It's like PTSD. It's like paralyzing the fear, you know, that you experience. So that sounds dark and heavy, but <laughs> I mean, that's real. And I think it's, that's that's how it is. Yeah, that's that's important. And that's, you know, that's why I wanted you to, to share your experiences, because I, I don't think that people understand that someone like you who's a nurse, there's hundreds of thousands of other nurses who deal with the same exact thing where they have to treat patients and deal with the suffering of seeing someone that they're caring for pass away, knowing that they did the best that they could and the best that they knew how to treat them and take care of them and do their best to keep them alive and heal them. But even in the best of circumstances, still, you don't get the outcome that you would like, which is, you know, making sure that people are healed. But yeah, that's that's tough. I was I was about to start crying there. And, <laughs> you know, like I remember like, yeah, you you told me that story before and you told me a couple other stories and like hearing some of your stories. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Alexis is like, a, mm. like you've been through the trenches. And so, yeah. And what's crazy is I don't talk about it that much, like because not many people ask. And when they do, I don't want to burden them with the dark stuff. You know, if they say, like, how's work going? You know, it must be crazy. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's pretty crazy. And that's really all I'm interested in saying. And I feel like that's all anyone really wants to hear. So I don't I don't really get into it that much, even still. So I'll be interested to see like when I'm going to be completely comfortable diving into those emotions. And I don't know if it will be when COVID is around, like not till COVID is somewhat of a distant memory and, and who knows when that will be, you know? So it'll be interesting. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that, <laughs> that will be very interesting, but hopefully. Yeah. You know, we get to a point sooner than later where you don't have to have crazy stories like that to tell. I know. Um, yeah. Dang, that's tough. Yeah. I know. It's just become kind of like a reality. And even now, I think in the southern states, like I know Arizona is pretty bad right now. They're they're having like a huge spike again in COVID, like worse than in D.C. So I'm just hoping it doesn't come back to us in the way that it was in the spring. Even now, it's way better than it was in the spring. So we'll see. But I think what's really crazy is, you know, experiencing all of that emotional distress. I would say like nurse burnout is so real <laughs> and it's not talked about enough. It's like 
you're burning a candle at both ends and you're wringing yourself out. Have you ever heard the expression of like, you have to fill your cup before you can pour out to others? Of course. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like fill your cup up and then you're able to like bring yourself joy and then you can bring joy to others. Nursing is very much like that. It's, you need to take care of yourself before you can take care of everyone else and take care of all your patients and be there for your coworkers and show up for your husband still when you get home and, you know, be a good daughter and be a good sister. There's so many cups that I try and fill every single day. And I think during COVID, the more I let things get to me, all my cup was empty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. My cup was like bone dry and then I had nothing to give. So I guess that's an interesting thing to reflect on as well was kind of like like self-preservation or like self-defense like you go on this like when I say autopilot it's also like a defense mechanism of I just gotta protect myself enough that I have something left for myself and it, when I'm giving out to everybody I still have to take care of my own mental health and emotional health yeah. and then it puts so much pressure on my days off as well because when I was picking up so much overtime and switching from day shift to night shift, sometimes I would only have like one day off or two days off a week. And I remember on those days putting so much pressure on myself to relax and to like have fun and to get a bunch of joy in and a bunch of happiness in so that I could fill my cup enough to go back to work and to do it all over again. And sometimes that pressure was like crippling because it wasn't easy to be happy. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I think that's what I mean when I say like crumble, like when I was talking about that earlier, like letting myself crumble because I had a moment where I'll never forget this one either because this was like, the one time I had a mental breakdown in front of Ethan. <laughs> I mean, I've had several, but this was a bad one. And it was week seven of my overtime. And he, I, it was like at the end of one my one day off that week. And I remember like sitting there on the couch and thinking like, I didn't fill up enough. Like, you know, reflecting back and being like, well, my, my day is over. Like the day that I had to recover is over. And I didn't, I didn't recover enough and I have to go back tomorrow. And I was kind of expressing that to Ethan and saying like, I feel like all I do is work and how do I refill myself? And he offered to make me a cup of hot chocolate. This is Ethan, my husband I'm talking about. He mm -hmm. offered to make me hot chocolate and that <laughs> set me over the edge. It's like that feeling of when you're upset and you're trying to hold it in and then someone notices you're upset and says, hey, you look upset. And then you break down. Oh, my gosh. You yeah, know what I mean? Worst. Yeah. It, it was like that. It was like he offered to do something nice for me. And that small niceness was like too much for me to bear. <laughs> so I like broke down. And it was like almost like that full seven weeks previously had built up and then just like came crashing down on me in that moment and i ended up having like a huge panic attack that was totally not cute <laughs> it was a total mess but 
it was a big wake up call for me. I was like, all right, I am like, because up till then I was like, I'm handling this pretty well. Like I'm doing great. And like, I don't know what people are talking about, like take care of myself. Like I'm doing great. And then after that, I was like, all right, I was not doing great. I just suppressed it so much that I had no idea, you know, it was under the surface until it came bubbling over. So now I try and deal with it before that happens instead of like repressing it in order to make it through. And how much do we do that in our everyday lives? Like it can't, it's not just me, I don't think. And I don't think it's just COVID nursing. Like I'm sure everybody suppresses things, you know, and puts them under the rug just to survive. And then they come bubbling over at some point and bite us in the butt. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Alexis. You know what I mean? That's a whole other podcast topic, (laughs) but I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly. I mean, I'll just—it's a defense mechanism, survival mode. You know? Yeah, I'll I'll share a little something real fast. So, like for me, I still remember like, and the people who are listening, I've probably you probably already heard this before, but I'm gonna say it again. You know, I deal with some digestive issues and. The way my digestive issues came was from a lot of stress I had in college. And that was a lot of stress in terms of having, you know, anxiety towards uh, schoolwork, towards testing, towards um, as well as like not sleeping enough and just like ignoring my body's calls for, you know, you need to take care of yourself. Because I know for me, I would stay up till like one almost every night sleep Mm -hmm. for like five hours and Mm -hmm. if i got when i was in college the max amount of sleep i needed was like six and i was good like i couldn't i couldn't sleep eight hours like i still have troubles sleeping eight hours like i i I, I don't i I can't sleep eight hours like i don't know what it means to sleep in like that doesn't happen for (laughs) me for some reason but i was just operating out of it was really out of fear. It was out of fear of like losing uh, scholarships and then losing opportunities and, you know, just uh, like losing the ability to, to get my degree. But for me, it was just like I had to ignore my needs of like, you know, I, I didn't work out. I didn't eat right. I ate like crazy. I just didn't care about anything else. And it, it showed in you know my skin it showed in my health deficiencies it showed in my just a bunch of issues and yeah like that type of stuff when you just ignore and repress things Mm -hmm. they find a way to show up on the surface somehow yeah (laughs) they do but yeah no that's it's it's been a lot you've been going through and yeah definitely suppressing everything in is is not a great thing but yeah, it's like I'm glad that you're sharing all of this because I feel like this is a lot of insight that I didn't know. This is mm-hmm. a lot of insight that a lot of people who aren't who don't work in the healthcare field know about. And yeah. you know, they should. They should because nurses and doctors aren't just people that, you know, just are like automatic prescription givers or medicine givers. They're real people with emotions and struggles and traumas that they have to see and they have to deal with and they have to, you know, work through. And mm-hmm. um, they deal with that in the process of healing other people. 
So, you know, they're helping elevate others while sometimes taking some hits to themselves. But amongst the great insight you've already given, what are some things that you wish people knew about being a nurse and how tough of a job it is to care for people? Because I think being a nurse is a super important job and it's something that is crucial for healing people and caring for people. So like, what's something that you wish people knew about being a nurse? Yeah. You know, it's really funny when you ask me this, I'm thinking to myself, and I don't know who got this for me as a gift, so I don't want to offend them. But <laughs> at some point in my life, I was given a t-shirt and I still have it somewhere, but it has like a giant needle on it and a giant bandaid on it. And it's a black shirt and in bright neon pink letters, it says nursing colon fixing cuts and sticking butts. <laughs> That's what this shirt says. Yo, what? <laughs> and I remember opening it and being like, really? Like, first how, of all, someone how, made this how shirt. How old were you when someone gave this? this? One, no, I was in like at least college, like maybe oh. a senior in college, <laughs> literally. And and I looked at it and I was like, first of all, someone made this shirt like really? That's what nursing is to you? Fixing cuts and sticking butts? And then second of all, I was like, well, I forget who gave me the gift, which I, now I feel really bad if I'm offending them. But I was like kind of offended. <laughs> I was like, that is not what nursing is, fixing cuts and sticking butts. I've been in the ICU for basically two years now, the ICU, and I don't think I fixed a single cut or stuck a single butt. I'm just saying, we do so much more than that. And our patients' problems are so much bigger than cuts. And then I feel like the rest of the world, at least prior to COVID, just pictured nurses like walking around with a bedpan, you know, like, I don't know what they thought we did. Pills, a handful of pills and a bedpan. And, you know, we just had the world solved and that was our job. I do appreciate being appreciated now that COVID has happened. I think people people realize much more what our daily life entails and are being very vocal about their appreciation for it. But it was frustrating prior to then kind of thinking to myself, like, really, this is what you think? <laughs> this is what you think nursing is? Yeah. You know, it's so much more than that as a profession. And it also just something I wish people knew in regards to COVID, I feel like a lot of people know someone who has COVID or who has had COVID, at least in the last year. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone that doesn't know someone that has had it. Having said that, I would say probably 80% of those people, their experience with their loved one or their friend having COVID was, oh, yeah, like my aunt had it, she had a headache, and she lost her sense of smell. Oh, yeah, like my brother had it and he just had a fever for a couple of days and he was fine. You know, like mild symptoms in the community or maybe like, oh, yeah, my aunt got it from her brother who gave it to her at a wedding and she tested positive, but she never had any symptoms, you know. Mm -hmm. So most people I feel like know someone who's had it but has no symptoms. And so they somehow have the impression that, yeah, I, you know, maybe I'll get COVID, but I'll be fine you know, and not show any symptoms and I'll be okay. And so that's why they don't wear the mask. And that's why they hang out in groups of people that are huge and, you know, don't socially distance. And that's how I feel about it. Because if you had a loved one <laughs> that was on my unit at the hospital, or if you had a loved one 
pass away from it or you knew someone super ill from it, you would wear a mask and you would socially distance and it really is just rolling the dice. It's taking a chance when you when you say, I'm not going to wear my mask. I'm not going to wash my hands. I'm not going to care about socially distancing. I'm going to go to this giant gathering of a bunch of people and I don't care if I get COVID because, you know, everyone I know that has had it has been fine. That's a gamble. Like, that's a risk. And I remember thinking in the beginning, like, the same thing about myself, because all the articles in the news were saying it only affects old people or it only affects immunocompromised people or it only affects overweight people. And although those populations are affected more seriously, I have seen young people, 31-year-olds, like 25-year-olds, who are in pretty good shape with no pre-existing conditions become very, very ill from COVID. So I just want to like shake people and wake them up and be like, you don't know, like you can't gamble because you don't know how your body will react if you get it. And you don't know if you'll survive or not. So, you know, it's not worth the risk. I actually have a friend who's a COVID ICU nurse in Arizona right now. And she said something the other day that I thought was really good. And she was saying, oh, now I'm going to misquote her and feel bad about it. <laughs> but it was something along the lines of, I really wish everyone would change their reaction when someone finds out someone they know or love has COVID from their initial reaction being, well, what was their pre-existing condition to, are they okay? And I thought that was so impactful because the amount of times that I said to people I know, like, oh, yeah, I took care of a COVID-positive patient yesterday. Like, oh, yeah, my patient was COVID-positive. They said, well, you know, what were their pre-existing conditions? Mm. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's not always the case. And it doesn't really matter. Like, you know, because although I know people want to be comforted by saying, well, I don't have diabetes and I don't have tuberculosis or something like that, then they think that they're safe and they're kind of immune, but nobody is. So anyway, let me get off my little soapbox. <laughs> nah, but real. I just want people to know that, you know, no one is completely safe from this virus. Even though it's been around for a year, you know, it can still affect people. And we're also learning that people who have had it can get it again and be sick again. So really nobody is completely safe yeah you gotta protect yourself very true yeah hopefully these vaccines protect us i know i hope so too protect us yeah oh so that's good man you just just dropping fire dropping (laughs) fire today that's crazy i know i already i already you know hyped you up and big you up earlier about how how important of a role that you play is right now in the current state of our world. But I know you said, you know, I'm just doing my job. But like, <laughs> you know, h- how does it feel knowing that, you know, every single day you're you're doing your best or every day that you're, you know, going into work, you're doing your best to help people. Like, how does it feel to know that you're playing an integral role in the healing of someone who has COVID or has another type of illness like how how does that feel knowing that you're 
a person who is aiding in that healing process? Yeah, I love this question. It's definitely rewarding. And as I mentioned earlier, that's one of the biggest reasons that I went into nursing because I have this innate desire to help people. And I mean, there are so many jobs where you can help people each and every day. But nursing to me always stood out as a very tangible way of doing it and a very direct way of doing it. And yeah, you're helping someone at the most critical points of their life where they're most vulnerable, they're at their most alone sometimes, especially now, and you're the one that is allowed to be, and and it's an honor to be the person that is there for them. And sometimes you're the only person they talk to that day, and you make their day. And coming from, I'm Christian, I'm Catholic actually, but coming from that perspective, you know, Ethan and I pray every day, and one of the things I always pray for is for Christ to be my hands and feet, like as I go through the hospital, because if I can channel that and if I can do his will and, you know, show people his face and his kindness, then that's all I, I mean, that's not all I need to do, you know, but that makes a huge difference. Even to like my peers, my fellow nurses, to my bosses, if I can show kindness to them and show them grace and mercy and even to my patients, sometimes just listening to them, that is so rewarding and so fulfilling because you can see that they're happy enough to just feel heard, that someone sat down and took the time with them to hear what they had to say and how they're feeling and really take that to heart and and do something with that and try and allow them to feel understood and progress their plan of care and yeah, I mean, it's a dream. Nursing is is very rewarding. I'm blessed and honored to be doing it. And I couldn't be happier in the job that I'm in. So, yeah, <laughs> if that answers the question. Yeah, it does. And, you know, you seem to be doing a, a great job at it. You got named, what, employee of the month like a couple couple I months did. ago. Voted so. by my peers, voted by my peers. Okay. Exactly. So that I mean not, that just means the show that's like not yo, the gods of nursing. They nah, they they recognize you and they recognize that you're great at what you do and you put a lot of uh thought and effort into what you do. So nah, that's that's great. That was awesome. Yeah. Oh man, this has been, you know, this has been a phenomenal episode and Alexis, you've given a lot of really good insight that I haven't thought about and I haven't, you know, heard from you, even though, you know, you meet Ethan, we talk all the time. But yeah, nah, I just want to say, you know, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing in your job, even though, you know, it's your quote unquote job and it's a quote unquote obligation. You're doing, <laughs> you're doing things that are very, impactful and important to helping restore the country and restore the lives of people and yeah hopefully you know when the rona is all said and done you know nurses will be given like i don't know nobel peace prize and <laughs> prizes or like purple hearts or something i don't know oh my gosh but but yeah nah you you definitely make an impact 
and you're you're being uh hope to the hopeless and a light to those in a in a place of darkness so yeah thank you for what you do thank you thank Thank you yeah thank you thank you for appreciating us and recognizing us and thank you for continually spreading joy to people in your life including me because honestly nurses need it show your nurses some love on their days off ask them how they're doing and yeah because they need that they need that emotional support and it's friends like you that provide that christian oh shucks nah i'm glad i'm glad but yeah y'all out there y'all got nurses in your lives definitely send them a text say hey i'm thinking about you praying for you or just just well wishes but yeah alexis thank you very much for coming on the podcast today do you have any words that you want to bless the lovely people out there listening (laughs) any last words i'll just say cling to hope because that's all we can do right now (laughs) i know it looks like you know it's a new year and we're still dealing with covid but I'm clinging to the hope of this, these vaccines and I'm clinging to the hope that maybe by the end of this year, by maybe even the fall, we'll start seeing a difference. So don't give up. Keep on keeping on. Keep being cautious and definitely show nurses some love and cling to that hope. Yes, yes, yes. Alexis, thank you. And for those of y'all listening, Please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on and share this episode with, you know, your favorite nurse or someone that you think would benefit from listening from it. But all right, I'll talk to you all soon. Stay real, stay ready and stay tuned.